Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with The Modern Man and here is what's coming up today. You never, ever forget the questions that you get wrong. The ones that can like mean that you do the walk of shame. They're there seared in your existence. Fastest finger first, gaming strategy, banter and ruthlessness. Some of Britain's best quizzes. Tell me how to win your favourite game show. Plus... I think there's something really sexy about standing under the water. Your clothes cling to you more, they become semi-transparent. Alex Fox on how to turn the bathroom into the sexiest room in the house. It does help if you have a separate toilet. Plus, our record of the week and Ollie Pitt edges ever closer to that elusive Christmas number one. It's all to come on this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters. Uh, Tok has been in touch to say he desperately needs to know where he can get one of the onesies Ollie Peart was on about last week. Uh, that will be the one with the poo flap, as you may recall. Uh, I've asked Ollie for you, Tok. He says apparently you can't get it yet because he was wearing a prototype from Kickstarter. <laughs> I mean, how more perfectly could one man embody his own feature on the show? He is the zeitgeist. There he is, testing trends he doesn't even tell us he's doing. Uh, so, Tok, uh, sorry if you are desperate for a poo flap. Um, I would suggest sticking with conventional trousers for now. Um, thank you as well to everybody who got in touch regarding my interview with Martha last week. Uh, man fan Anya, I think, sums it up. Uh, she says, Ollie, whilst listening to Martha, I found myself completing her thoughts and sentences. Thank goodness I've not been in her shoes and I hope to never experience what she was unfortunate enough to encounter. But her thought process was very much like my own and I imagine like that of many women. I hope she continues to heal and find strength within herself and thank you for doing that interview in an honest and respectful way. Uh, Anya, thank you. And if you still have last week's interview, last week's episode, sitting in your podcast app, waiting to be played, just because you looked at the title and thought, God, I'm never going to want to listen to that. Trust me, try it. Martha is a great person. It's not actually a fundamentally depressing interview. It's an enlightening conversation and well worth your time. Um, Meanwhile, some good news on the fixed odds betting terminals we've been campaigning to cap since our interview three years ago with Matt Zarb Cousin. Uh, It is now official after a government U-turn. Betting terminals in bookies will now be capped at £2 from April next year. So it's great to see that's finally happening. And thank you to all the listeners who contacted us on Twitter at The Modern Man to uh, bring that to our attention. But I think on the very same day, actually, as that announcement, it emerged that Kwaku Adeboli, who I spoke to in our episode, The Two Billion Dollar Man, has now been deported to Ghana. Um, To refresh your memory on that one, that is a country he has not lived in since he was a young child. It is simply because he was convicted of a financial crime here in the UK, for which he has accepted his punishment, served his time, presents no risk to others. It is a completely farcical example of the government's hostile environment policy. And uh, the campaigns continue, if you want to follow that, on Twitter, at KeepQuaku. And we'll keep an eye on it on this show as well, and perhaps return to it again here too. Uh, Right, I'm going to cheer up now (laughs) because uh, this episode, I promise, is a lot of fun. Uh, In it, you will learn a shortcut to memorise the order of the US presidents. You will learn which day of the week my birthday, the 12th of May 1981, was. And you'll learn Alex Fox's top tip on how to spice up a striptease. Let's go. 
Time to talk trends now. It's the zeitgeist with the man you will know as the bearded guy who drives around in a Peugeot 206 with a purple Soundwave-inspired roof if you live in Dorchester or the greater region. It's Ollie Peart. Uh, although I don't, because I haven't had my car back yet. They've still got it. Are oh, they still working on it? Yeah, because they're going to do a full wrap, and then we're going we're gonna to try and sell it. Now, normally at this point, I would be asking you how you've been getting on with your challenge for the week. However, breaking news... We have a serious update on your challenge for the series. We have a Christmas song. Okay, so earlier in the series, Jim from Reverend and the Makers tasked you with writing a Christmas song, and now it exists. Yeah, I've taken everything that I learnt, 12A signature, major key, jingle bells, and I've worked with Philip Mark Anguito, you remember that guy? The Australian guy who'd worked with One Direction and Little Mix. That's the chap. And for some reason, I don't know what you have on him, is now working with you. And he took all of the stuff that I wrote, that spaff that you heard as well, and he has compiled it together into a Christmas song. Now, I just want to just note of caution before I hear it, because if it's good, because he's a professional, Mm -hmm. I might be swayed by this, I just want it on the record again, that I do think it's a bit bullshit that you sat in a room for 10 minutes and literally just wrote down everything that came to your mind about Christmas, and that is going to give you a writing credit on a song. I admire that technically you've achieved the task. I'm just a bit dubious that you have written this thing if a man on the other side of the world has been beavering away setting it to music. No, I, I have a legitimate writing credit on this for that 10 minutes. I'm not doubting it. You are Jerry Halliwell in this scenario. I'm just questioning whether that's fair. I it's think the music industry, I suppose, I'm questioning rather than you. It's 100% fair. Fine. It's absolutely fine. Okay. But this song that he sent through, this, this song that I'm going to play you now. Yeah. Does it include the lyrics, this is a time to listen to Christmas, put on your headphones and listen to Christmas, because that was my favourite bit of your brainstorm? No. What? So Philip recorded this on his phone, uh-huh. but you have to try and imagine, this is what he said to me, imagine this being uh, Ollie Murs singing it. Right. Just have that in your head. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you The Sounds of Christmas, written by Philip Mark Anquitil and Ollie Peart. Piano lads, I like it. Get out of my lonely bed in the morning. Radio's on about global warming. Rain is pelting down on the street. It's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas time. And you're still not mine. That's a great key change. Love a key change. You're bopping your head. Be nearly a year, I keep hearing your voice. Hate silent nights, but I'd have no choice. The light of the fire, mull the wine. Null down a few to forget Christmas time. So I feel like I've heard this before, even though I haven't. Because you're still none mine. I know what you mean. I'm already choreographing the dance moves. So how am I supposed to move on and forget? Because all I want for Christmas is inside my head. So turn off the carols, unjingle the bells. You're enjoying it. It's good. You're smiling. Unjingle the bells. That's a good lyric. Good lyric. Don't light any fireworks, it hurts like hell. Because Christmas reminds me of you. I like it. It's got a kind of Paul Williams meets Scouting for Girls vibe. The sounds of Christmas remind me of you. That's really good. That is the bit at the end as well, right? So you've got a crush on someone at the office. That's yeah. the bit where you make eyes and say, come on, so a little oh, kiss. Oh, the Christmas party. Christmas kiss. That's where you make the ill-advised move, isn't it? It's the love actually moment. That's yeah. what it is. So reluctantly, I have to say, in all honesty, you have succeeded at this challenge because the simple task was, can you write a Christmas song? 
there's a question mark over whether you really have written this, but that is a Christmas song and you were involved in the writing process, so well done. First of all, there's no question as to whether I've written it or not. I have, and yes, you are right to say that, but we're only halfway through the series, so I've had this fixation on number one. Some might say obsession. Yeah, Some might a, say unhealthy, weird, paranoid obsession. I think it's a fair one. So remember what I said about Ed Sheeran last week, right? Ed Sheeran, he only sold 85,397 records to get to Christmas number one last year. Yes. I cannot get that figure out of my head. That is a completely achievable number. Well, it might be achievable if you had Ed Sheeran singing that song, but we don't. I and mean, we don't even have Ollie Murs. We have Ollie Peart. So how would you sell that many records? We are part of a podcast network called Acast, right? Yeah. And Acast have 20 million downloads every single month. Uh-huh. I want to harness that power, that audience, that demographic well, to how? help us. How? You're not, you're not going to get my dad wrote a porno or Adam Buxton to be talking about buying this single on their show. So how are you going to harness the network? Pod aid. Go on. Well, the idea is that we get all of the podcasters that we know, as many as we can get, and we give them a line in the song to sing. And so they all become part of the track. So every single podcaster that you know and love becomes part of this Christmas song. And then we use that power to drive it to number one. Can you just imagine? I'm being serious now. 85,397, and there are 20 million downloads a month. The podcast community, I'm telling you, we have the power. That's interesting because it would also be something of a press story, wouldn't it, if you managed to circumnavigate all the traditional ways of pushing a single Mm -hmm. and you were using podcasts to try and get the song into the top 40. Yeah, and it's been done before, as in not with podcasting, but like to get around the traditional means of getting to number one, so Rage Against Machine, right? Yeah, that was like the anti-X Factor number one, Yeah, exactly. And that was Facebook, basically. Yeah, it's an online petition. And no one's done it really with podcast audiences, that is true. And if there's one thing we know about podcast audiences, they're very loyal. Yeah, but they're not deaf, crucially. <laughs> I still but think, you've heard the song. No, 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 no. The song's good. I'm not criticising the song that you definitely wrote. What I'm saying is you singing it might still be an issue. And actually you're saying pod aid so you get all different podcasters to sing a line, and that's fun. I get it. But I'm a podcaster of some prominence. If someone came to me and, and Helen on Answer Me This and said, sing this line of this song we'd sing it out of tune and it wouldn't be very pleasant to listen to and that sounded a bit out of our range well I thought about that which is why I got back to Phil and said uh, can we make it so it's suitable for multiple voices can we change it somehow can we maybe make it a little bit more comedic a little bit light hearted so that it doesn't necessarily matter if somebody's got a good voice or not like the comic relief charity thing yeah a little bit style. like a, a mashup of comic relief and band-aid right uh-huh. and he agreed and Bagsy Bono can I be Bono <laughs> You can if you want. But I want to be seeing the line put on your headphones and listen to Christmas, which isn't in there. I'll tell you what, I will say this now. You can have whatever line you want. Okay. But he went away and he sent me an updated version of this track. Okay. Do you want to have a listen? Yes. Oh, it's got some driving production behind it now. Do you feel like clicking? Christmas time. It's got the jingle bells. I think they're chimes, actually.
There's a 12-8. This is better than the Mel Smith version of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree already, and that still gets airplay. So turn off the carols and jingle the bells. Let's boil the chestnuts in stew. You were humming! You were humming! It's great. It's an upbeat, pathos Christmas song. And it doesn't have the word faggot in it, unlike the other pathos song that everyone likes at Christmas. And Bonus. If, yeah, and if you remember my spaffing, I'm, and this is me, you know, clawing at that writing credit. You know, it was borderline angry, but with a, a positive it sway. It was, yeah. And that's what this track is. Merry fucking Christmas. Yeah, yeah. He's t- very much boiled down the gist of what you put and put it into something palatable. But maybe there's a, a genus there. Okay, so what happens next? You want to get a load of podcasters to sing a line each. Yeah, this is where the real work happens, right? So we need to get in touch with them all. So a lot of emailing. And basically, when, when you say we, this is your baby. No, I, no, 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 I, no. You've I, taken you, this. Listen, no, you, you no, are, you cha- are, no, you said it yourself. No, you're a prominent the, podcaster. No, so, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have you on this. Right. You're a prominent podcaster. Yeah. You're very influential in the community. You're going to help me. I'm make very this modest happen. as well. I did not say that I was going to help you in no, any way. No, I'm telling you, you're going to help me. Well, how? Well, you're going to use your gravitas. Am I now? Yes. And what's in it for me? I mean, this is your <laughs> challenge. Oh, yeah, that's it. In the spirit of Christmas, <laughs> what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? We're going to give money to charity for it, Ollie. Oh, you didn't mention that. Well, you know, pod aid. I think that we should do something for charity. We shouldn't just, it shouldn't just be some kind of ego trip whereby we all oh, become uber it's the famous. the carrot they to dangle in front of everyone when you can't be bothered to do the work, isn't it? It's for charity. You can't say no when it's for charity, can you? Good to know that you're on board then. Sure. As I've said all along, I think one potential way of this ending is with you checking into a clinic. But in either case, I'm curious to see how it develops. Yeah, me too. Uh, Man fans, coming up next, you'll find out how to beat the buzzer and get on your favourite game show. But first, here comes our record of the week, our real record of the week. It's the new one by Tamino. It's called Tummy. Uh, And if you enjoy this and you're in London, Tamino's going to be playing live on the 3rd of December. So do check him out. I'm no longer found. Bucks got on Miami. Bust out in the yard. Spiders on my tummy. I'm no longer Sex got on my pride I'm no longer found Bust out in the yard of angels Disabled I saw someone change the labels I've seen it I saw someone change the Now, I'm a great believer in serendipity. Very often I just stumble across someone who would be a fascinating guest. You've just got to keep your ears open. And back in May, a man called Jason came to my house having just bought a slimline dishwasher from me for 50 quid on eBay. Uh, It was only a Curry's Essentials, but secondhand slimlines are hard to find, so I was giving him a good deal. Anyway, we got chatting on my front drive, and it turned out that Jason is a serial quizzer. 
He has appeared on 14 game shows, including Pointless, Eggheads and Countdown. And immediately this sparked off so many questions in my head. How do you get on so many game shows? How much money can you actually win? Can it be your job? How do you keep your eyes on the prize under pressure? Uh, I asked him if, to answer these questions, he could cobble together a little team of his fellow quizzes. He said yes, and now... Ladies and gentlemen, let's meet this week's contestants. I'm Jason Hill. Uh, I've loved quizzes for years and years and years. Probably the moment that is the biggest thrill is hugging Ben Shepherd after winning £10,000 on Tipping Point. That was just sheer ecstasy. I am Julia Hobbs and my proudest quizzing moment has to be Beating the 100 and winning £61,000 on 1 vs 100 in 2008. Hello, I am Will Howells and I think the most proud moment was probably going on Mastermind where I did the specialist subjects of the band Suede, which I'd loved for years and years and years and just getting 15 out of 15 in that first round, discovering afterwards at least that members of Suede were watching and not doing as well. (laughs) I presume, Will, the secret to 15 out of 15 is choosing a subject that's actually quite small so you can learn as much about it as possible. Yeah, and I I would commute to work with a sheet of notes that I'd prepared that listed, you know, the entire discography, what all the B-sides were, who directed the music video, um, and I would read through that and make sure I knew it all. I got uh, one of my friends who was on the same series um, to set me questions on Suede and I set some questions on the uh, American modernist composer Steve Reich for him so that we could sit and test each other. But I won that first match, I went into the semi-final. There's much less lead time in the filming schedule so you don't know you're going to the semi-final as early as you know you're going to the first round Mm. so then the revision time is less unless you've been really confident preparing in advance I didn't have time to watch whatever it is 37 episodes of Inspector Morse for the second one so my revision was quite uh, stunted as well Mm. I think probably what people who aren't quiz aficionados will be interested by or intrigued by is that of course we all know there's revision to be mastermind because that's kind of the gimmick of the show you know everything about this thing no matter how weird the detail but people might be surprised to know that there's also revision involved in going on a show like Tipping Point. Like to make sure you get your fastest finger first or you get through the first round, you need to make sure you're abreast of trivia. Definitely, yeah. You've got to, you've got to be... The, the golden rule is to be aware of the rules of the game and if you can, watch the shows beforehand so that when it comes to the actual recording, you know what to do. And if, if there's any advantage that you can think of beforehand put that into practice, then you're going to be one step ahead of other people. And you've got to be ruthless. So if you see someone who's a bit flustered and it's uh, you're up against people like uh, who are panicking slightly, you just have to be kind of cold and calculated in the, in the studio. Mm. It might make the train journey home a bit more bit uncomfortable <laughs> if, you, if you're with someone who you kind of voted off. But um, It always surprises me um, watching Only Connect, for example, that the third round of Only Connect, The Wall the number of people who stand there not pressing buttons and there's so much you can do through trial and error and if you're trying to complete a sequence you can just work through in a really methodical way and having that planning in advance and literally sitting down with your team and going I'm going to be the person who pushes the buttons and tries to finish that while you think about the next thing yeah. and people don't seem to have had that conversation and thought ahead yeah, I mean, yeah. It can, with uh, who wants to be a millionaire 
obviously the reboot with Jeremy Clarkson. Uh, there's a chance of asking the host, asking him for advice, or asking the audience. And you've got to think to yourself, okay, so which is the, which do you, you which lifeline do you use up first? What's going to be the most accurate uh, way of getting get, getting to the correct answer? And of course, it's going to be asking the audience. It's the wisdom of crowds. Yeah. So just thinking through your the process and okay, so if I was sat at this point, what would I uh, do? And kind of trying to stick with that, I think, because you can easily be sidetracked and then you you kick yourself. Yeah, you've got to you've got to sort of have a bit of a strategy, whatever show you're on. I mean, for me, with my biggest experience on One Versus the Hundred, you get a chance to dodge and you get a chance to double after you've knocked X amount of people out of the hundred. So it's knowing when to employ your dodges and your doubles as well in order to maximise your prize fund and also your chance of reaching the end of of the questions you know I had one question which to many many people would have been easy should have been really easy to me a question about the Mr Men and on any other occasion I probably would have known it but I was this close like two people away from winning a very big amount of money that would have made a massive difference to my life so at that point I just you know you sort of forget your name even when you're in that position and I just sort of thought no I can't I can't take a chance on this one I'm going to have to dodge it Mm. and you know I got stick from lots of friends and family who were like you go and get a Mr. Men question right and I was like trust me when you're up there you just want to stay in the game and you just want to give yourself the best opportunity you can have how do you keep yourself balanced keep your equilibrium I, I, level I, I, I do a bit of yoga and deep breathing <laughs> and the first my first quiz experience was weakest link and I was a rabbit in the headlights I really was the, the red light work came on and I was asked what what piece of office equipment kind of is used for kind of making making copies of kind of texts and books and I was going purr, 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 <laughs> and you are the weakest link before you knew it the Yatsi you're doing the walk of shame and you're kicking yourself you think okay well that was because my heart was pounding at 100 miles an hour I wasn't calm wasn't relaxed so I thought right okay the next time I'm going to be super calm going to concentrate on being relaxed and it's all about I think if you can replicate that that sensation of sat at home relaxed with a drink uh, in front of the tv that in the, in the in the studio, you're in a much better position to kind of like have the answer pop in your head rather than being really anxious, which is often the case because it's it's a long it's a long process. The recording is a, it's a long day, and you can be a bit tired, and, and you, obviously you're, you're stressed. And if the camera's moving towards you, your heart rate can go up. So it's about working, getting your, your kind of stress levels down in the in the in the studio. Most of the time, the the production team they do try as hard as they can to make it a relaxed fun experience and when those things are going wrong they'll check up on people they'll bring you water I think the format of the shows tends to supply the tension and the fact that people want to win so once Mm. once the lights are up and you're in the game zone whatever else is happening is separate but around that most of the production teams will try really hard to actually keep people calm and relaxed and the hosts are nice as well they they cut my favourite moment from uh, my Sandy Toxvig all right one um I have you know, they, when you apply for stuff, a lot of the time, particularly if there's a bit of contestant chat, uh, the production team want to know they can have a chat. And there's something interesting you can tell, you know, that time you saw John Travolta in Sainsbury's or whatever <laughs> story you can pluck up. Pluck yeah. up. There's the, just the practicality that when you've got something like 15 to 1, where the length of the show depends on how many questions have got right at any point. Mm. If you've got a lot of bants recorded, then you can cut it in cut and it out, out as you need to yeah. to make it fit the time slot. Right. Yeah. And so they, um, I'd put down... My party trick, which is telling people the day of the week they were born based on the date of birth. Amazing. 12th of May, 1981. 12th of May, 1981 was a Tuesday. Okay. 
I'm, I mean, you're I gonna will, have to check that. I will yeah. consult if it's still in the edit. It was a Tuesday. Well done. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, now I'm not daft, so I, I looked up Sandy Tuxfield's date of birth before I went on because I thought the pressure of trying to do Smooth. that in the studio is is uh, because normally I do it. What happens is I get drunk and I do it, and then I've drunk too much and I get it wrong. Yeah. So I thought I'll, I'll look it up in advance and I'll make the facial expressions as if I'm doing it there and then. So she came up and she said, "Oh, so I was born on this day," and I can't remember what day of the week it was, but I said, "Oh, it's." this day and did the thing from the rhyme of like oh you're a Wednesday's child you're full of woe and she said to me so which day were you were you born and I said oh I was born on a Sunday so I'm bonnie and blithe and happy and gay and she went well I'm three of those (laughs) (laughs) so you had the bands so how important is that when you're applying let's go back to before we get into a tv studio you want to be on a quiz show how do you go about doing it? Well, I'm going to just lead up by saying I have a slight advantage over these two people sitting opposite me just by being female. Male applicants outnumber female applicants massively. So I just sort of go, well, I'm a girl. They're going to they're they're want <laughs> yeah. me. Um, but it's not just about that, obviously. It's about they, they want a different mixture of um, regional people applying. You know, they, they mix up the regions. They mix up ages, gender, obviously. You, if you've got something that can make you stand out on your application form, like my funny story, I suppose that you would say is I've got I was a body double in a BBC comedy sketch show, uh, naked from the waist down. So just, just so that's one of my stories. Um, that and the fact that I can do the splits and people think it's <laughs> hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's that's if you <laughs> want to put something funny on your form, just. Just, you know, make sure it's something that you can talk exactly, about as yes. well. You've got uh, yeah, to, you know, if you get to asked, asked about it, it, it and you've you got get, to be able to elaborate, really. Do you get a research call first? Yes. So someone do. in the office calls and checks these stories with you, do they? Or do they check your ability? And, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that. So, I mean, I think the first thing, the first thing is, if you if you want to go on a BBC show, most of the time they advertise on the Be On A Show bit mm. of the BBC website. Good so to you, know. So you want to go on Pointless, just go on there. And other game shows and documentaries where they're looking for people, there's always that information on there. But basically, Google the show you want to go on because the production people want to find contestants and yep. don't want to hide it away and, and actually are out there looking for people. So obviously, if it's, a, if it's an existing show, have an idea about what the tone of it is. So mm. something like Mastermind or, I don't know, on radio, Brain of Britain and, and University Challenge, they want people who are just going to answer the questions right. That's their fundamental yeah. top thing. Yeah. You wouldn't and put you your stunt get, bottom story no, on No, you wouldn't. You don't, get, you, no, and, you and don't so, get chat from those contestants. And, and so the, <laughs> thing you, the thing you have to sell to them is, I am really good at quiz. And if they ring up and give you a phone audition, you need to be yeah. on it and getting answers right. Uh, yes, and take the call as well. And don't <laughs> yeah. say, oh, yeah. um, no, uh, can you call no, me back in two weeks' time? Yeah. No, you've so, got to take it. So they literally, Jason, say, hi, received your application, really interested in including you on the show. When Aristophanes wrote the clouds, is it like that? It's, there's a little bit of you're asked is it okay to ask a few questions so, and then you think okay fine find a nice quiet place so that you can concentrate on the questions mm-hmm. uh, and I seem to remember I had a, a, a litany of questions to be on the cha- uh, the chase and 50, 60 questions and I was thinking right how well am I doing and it did okay got onto the, sh- onto the show but yeah it's an important in a, it's a really important part of, yeah. of the, um, the casting process good point about uh, making sure that you fit the tone of the show because I, I did um, a Stephen Mulhern show called Pick Me and it was a, a mixture <laughs> of dressing up and answering qu- uh, uh, questions yeah, I remember so that. I sent in my application dress as a shark because I thought okay no one is going to uh, no one is going to that's high risk I would say 
Like you're either well, in or out. There's no, yeah, there's I'm, no maybe. I'm selected. I got the call. Yeah. So it's about making making yourself stand stand out. And but I imagine some of these production teams, when they call you, know you from their previous gig when they're working on another quiz show. Is that an advantage? So it can be. I mean, sometimes if someone's holding a uh, application forms on file and is you know really keen yeah. to get contestants, they will dig them out. Um, or if a runner's worked on one show and, and yeah, yeah, that's happened. Yeah, um, yeah, but you normally have to write on the form what other TV appearances you've had. So Do you they, lie sometimes? Oh, absolutely not. And you know, I did. I did one thing where um, I'd done a, an application over the phone because someone had got my details from somewhere and they'd then filled in the form and there's a because I'm really anal and like keeping lists I have somewhere on my website a list of every quiz show I've been on mm-hmm. and when they sent through the form they had literally cut and pasted it because it was formatted exactly <laughs> they googled me yeah. gone to my website cut that list and put it in the thing themselves but I think for some shows something like Mastermind it demonstrates that yes. you're probably a reasonably good quizzer yeah. but for an entertainment show. I mean, the main, the main concern really is they don't want to have you turn up on two different channels at the. And that has yeah. happened. It and has the happened. Daily Mail I, I think story on that. It does come up a lot within, let's call it the quizzing circuit. It's lots. You know, there are contestant websites and things, and people talk about it a lot. Oh, uh, I haven't been picked for this show because I was on that show six months ago, and there's no industry standard. There's no hard and fast rule about if you've been on this show, you can't go on another show within a year or whatever. Some shows won't let you on if you've been. On the on another show yeah. within the point, last point, six months, point, pointless has a has a much stronger rule than most yeah. other shows about it. Um, but other there are other shows that don't care, and they'll have you on if you were on. You know, they'll have you on Tipping Point tomorrow if you were on Mastermind last week. Say it's that kind but of I, thing. But I, the key, honesty is the key, key is, is key. to be absolutely mm. honest about all of your appearances because <laughs> you will get caught out. It's a niche issue because it doesn't affect many people. But one of the things, no, I think uh, that that goes for this whole conversation. Yes. <laughs> that is the of, benefit of hearing yeah. it. One of the things, if you're applying for the chase, one of the things you have to do, it'll say like, which chases do you want to face? And well, who wouldn't you want to face? So I wrote in that bit of my form, I know one of the chasers, so I obviously couldn't play yeah. him. I remember this chaser saying to me, it amazes him that people don't flag that up. And actually, when he sees a list of contestants, he has to go, I can't play that person, yeah. I can't play that person, mm. because I know them, and it would seem really dodgy if I people would accuse me of you know throwing a That's a an quiz. interesting point. Yeah. So the integrity of these quiz shows. Yes. Mm. In your experience, do the production teams take that yeah. seriously? There, there's, a, there's a, a verification person at each uh, quiz show who sat there kind of making sure that all the questions are fair. And in 15 to 1, the, the, the whole recording process was, was stopped because there was a question where one of the contestants said, that was was really badly worded it was about uh it was about a, a film whether it was defined as a western or not i heard and the I story thought, just the other yeah, night actually. okay i think i, I tell you that, that's that and go on what was the question oh it was um it was it, about uh no country for old men was, being right. described yes. as a western that's the one yes yeah. wow one of your okay. parents told me this story yeah the and you I could say see. that's a western so what the question was in the western yeah Right, yeah. or which Western film directed yeah. by so and so? And the, the contestant thought, well, I was right, I was led down a garden path there. Yeah. And that's unfair. So the, the, the filming stopped, and there was another question that was offered. So, yeah, I, I, I really respect the fact that there's, there is real integrity with, with the process because, yeah, you can't say that. I did, um, uh, what's it, Clever Dicks for Sky Atlantic, and I got to the final of my show. And we had a really, really exciting final that came down to it. It was against the clock and two of us on the buzzer and it came down to pretty much the last second. And they cut us off and cut my final buzz off ahead of the clock. And there was a real like panic in the studio of 
we think we didn't give you enough time mm-hmm. and it would have made a difference to the mm-hmm. final result. And there was genuinely, I think there was a half hour chat between the production team and the adjudicator mm. on what should happen. And they came to us and just and, you know, said, do you think the two of you could recreate exactly what you did? Because it's against the clock. You can't just slot something over the top. It's all tied together. And so in the end, we scrapped that whole final and literally just did it again. I got thrashed, so I looked much worse than I had the first time. But they, 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 and I think it goes back to, I don't think it would have been the case... 30 years ago but I think there's been enough scandals mm. about from like the phone polls about Blue Peter Katz or, or whatever yeah. over the years that there's now a real they know it was really damaging for the brand if anything yeah. got out well this is it and the, the coughing major on who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> is the most famous example which led obviously to a court case um, but that never, it seems to me, would have come to court if it wasn't a million pounds of ITV's money at well, stake. I mean, mm. there was a really weird story about um, from 15 to 1 back in the William G. Stewart days because there were rules about whether you could go on more than once. And literally a guy changed, got himself a fake name, got himself a disguise and went back on under a different name. And viewers spotted, spotted in, him. called in. And yes. called in. And, you know, I think Julia Wolf, I mean, I bet, did he get booted out of the final in the end I think he did I think he I think he was banned from going on again and yeah I think and there wasn't even big money on that you could get you could get a Greek bowl yeah it was a a Greek relic or something I'm curious actually what is the most coveted prize that isn't money I mean obviously you'd all like to win a million pounds but what what is the equivalent it's got to be the mastermind crystal bowl yeah yeah Wow, unanimous decision. (laughs) I guess it's because even though it isn't really a pure form of quiz because of the specialist subject element, um, it is still such a kind of... It's long-running, it's iconic, it's one-to-one with the host, and so... It feels like a much more pure version. There's, there's no gimmicks about mm. arcade machines or uh, um, opening boxes or anything. It's very, it's just quiz questions. And if you answer the mo- most quiz questions in the same amount of time as someone else, you win. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys feel about Deal or No Deal, which you just made reference to there? <laughs> Is that a quiz? No. I no. mean, it's just no. luck. No. Would you like to go on it? Um, not, not really, I don't think. So you're not it's... in it for the game, you're in it for the for the answers. I guess, yeah, Dylan and Dylan yeah. would just be about the money and, it would and maybe you know, having your face on TV for yeah. an hour. But but I, what I, the, the thing that would put me off Dylan or No Deal is you, you used to have to commit to a week yes. bit and be away with a, you know, I'm not the most social person, being away with a bunch of strangers in a hotel for a, a hotel week. hotel in Bristol, um, yeah. yeah. And, and actually that's, that is the problem with some shows. Um, if they've got a complex format where you might get through to the next round and go back and back, there was mm-hmm. a show... Um, some friends and I looked at auditioning for, which basically wanted you to commit to spending a week in Belfast without knowing... That wasn't long... the prize, presumably. That, was, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. the prize. And I mean, I've never been to Belfast. I'm, I would love to have a trip, but what I don't want to do is take five days off work yeah. to make the yeah. life, life easier for a production company yeah. on the hope on a show with no real no money in the prizes, if I remember. Well, that was essentially my experience of being on something called The People's Quiz in 2007. Go on. Which was, it was a national lottery show, so it was over a, a number of Saturday nights. So you mm-hmm. had to, you know, play your way through every week. Um to you know to to end up in winner's row and then into the final and i did manage to get into the final but i was the last person to get us no second last person to get into the final uh-huh. so i was there for the entire run and did spend probably the best part of a week sitting in a green room at tv center which was fine up to a point and yeah. then you kind of go just want to just kind of get on with it now and we were put up in a hotel in Acton and it wasn't the most glamorous of surroundings and yes I'd taken time off work and no I didn't win but I did have fun I had a you know it was quite a nice week and I, I got to answer lots of questions and show off which is basically what quizzing is all about <laughs> but the, long, the longer you spend with your, with the people you're playing against I, I'm 
I don't know whether this is kind of an insider tip, but I sometimes kind of take along a quiz book and I read out questions in the mm-hmm. green room. And then you, it's a way of working out who's really yeah. good. And you can surreptitiously think, oh, OK, this person is kind of like you need to kind right. of like watch out for them. So let's talk about that. One thing, sort of filling out the form in the right way, having the banter. You guys all know each other through the, what is it, the London Quiz League? Quiz League of London. So you're, you're quizzes and that's your hobby. Yeah. Mm. But how do you, give us a life hack here, how do you actually revise to be on one of these shows to have the appropriate knowledge of all the trivia you it's, need? Is there any shortcut? An, uh, I, well, I, I don't really revise because general knowledge is general knowledge. Yeah. And it's an interesting for me, in the world. You've never yeah. looked at a Wikipedia article of capital cities of the world? Um, well, yeah, I've done that. I sort of, I, I use Wikipedia occasionally. I do look things up. I have That's gaps. revising though, isn't it? Because yeah. I haven't. I haven't looked I, at that I article. I think it's revising if you do it with a particular purpose mm. to learn. But if it's just a general interest, I you, then I think, you know, ha- having a little bit of an interest in a lot of different things is a very good place to start so okay so i actually am pretty good on pop music Mm -hmm. films popular culture like when i'm watching those shows i pretty much get those questions right my downfall sport never had an interest in sport terrible so so, okay that's reassuring to hear so i could enter a show and still get through to the final not knowing about sport yeah yeah you can because the more you the more quizzes you do and the more quizzes you watch even even if you're not going on them if you're watching them you'll see and hear the same sort of things Mm. come up Time and again, American maybe in slightly different presidents. ways. Thank you. Yeah. This is what I want to know. What yeah. are the things? Yeah. Right. American presidents. signs of the zodiac, yeah. wedding we, anniversaries. They're what we call chestnuts in, mm, yeah. in the quizzing world. <laughs> yeah. They they come up all the time, and they're things that you expect quizzers to just kind of know like that straight off. G- the top give us of their a chestnut. Heads. Give us a chestnut. Um, Weird things like uh, lutetium, the element, is named after the old name for Latin Paris. Name for Paris. Yeah, that's the kind of thing no one just knows in the street, but yeah. quizzers, but, just, but quizzers just know it because it comes up all the time. Amazing. Yeah, Latin names for elements and things like that, and Greek names for elements, and you know they do come up time and again. Okay, when you say presidents, what's I mean, which era do you need to know? Presumably pre-Clinton. Probably everything, yeah. really. It's I mean, just now, a little now bit of everything. loads of Alexander Hamilton-related questions yeah. Yeah. now, but you can also revise by listening to the soundtrack. Yeah, um, you listen to the cast <laughs> recording and you learn about the fact you know it goes. Washington, because he's in it at the beginning, and then John Adams replaces him, and then Thomas Jefferson comes on, and you can learn all that from a musical. Yeah. And then when you're trying to remember, you can use lyrics instead of trying to just know a list. So, so memory it, tricks are important for trying to remember. Definitely. Remember the exactly. I mean, yeah. I've got a little thing for remembering the signs of the, the zodiac, where it's like visual mnemonics, as in, I think beginning of November, kind of fireworks, and then there's a big scorpion in the sky, Scorpio, kind of November, and use you can use that to kind of like enhance your list le- learning. But I'll say now it. It's it's it gets you so far, but when I was on on Pointless, there was a couple called Solid Gold, and they signed the green room, and they had their little green book, and they were kind of re- revising tests. They didn't speak to all any of the other um, uh, contestants, and then the first round, countries ending with uh, Stan S T A N, they looked at one another blankly. We haven't revised geography. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, yeah, you, you can kind of revise, revise, revise. Yeah, but there's a lot of luck involved and there's going to be stuff in the in the show that you haven't prepared so you just got to run with it, it, is, so. it is i mean it's good to if you're serious about it it's good to track down those basic things mm. i mean my thing for the other, my other thing for presidents is i just know I, I don't learn all the numbers i know reagan was 40 and i know who comes after so someone gives yeah. me a number i can't yeah, I can do, yeah. I have enough time to count up yeah. see but, i vaguely did that for my literature degree now i think about it i knew that shakespeare wrote hamlet in 1600 I kept that on me, and then I thought, roughly, where in his yeah. canon would this yeah. play be? Would and he actually, have written it before or after Hamlet? Shakespeare, if you want to know 
Wars of the Roses history, knowing the Shakespeare plays from Richard II through to Henry VIII is basically a really good way of... I've, I know my order of that by mm. having gone to the Globe and watched Henry IV. Okay. Now, Julia, you went beyond being a contestant. I did, yes. You are now a professional question setter. That is correct. Like, well, actually, your day job is it that. It is actually my day job. I turned my hobby into my job. Tell us um, how. Well, uh, after having been on uh, One Versus 100 and winning £61,000, that was actually recorded nine days after I'd received redundancy from my previous job. I was given oh, redundancy notice well on the done. 31st of January 2008. And on the 9th of February, I went to Maidstone, recorded this quiz show, sat through three recordings, didn't get picked to be the one. The final show of the day, I played my way into the, into the last 18 and was chosen to be the one to get on stage, chat to Ben, answer questions and find myself beating the 100 and winning £50,000 bonus on top of what I'd put into my prize fund myself by answering questions. So hooray me. That was great. <laughs> Lovely day. Thank you very much. Um, and after that, I pretty much had a year off work that's brilliant thank you i mean that's already a great story <laughs> before the dream. Yeah, the dream. The dream. i had a year off work um went and did some traveling went to south america you know had a lovely time and during the course of being a contestant on a previous show and on one versus 100 i met a gentleman called luke kelly who was one of the producers and i had said to him oh, i'd been quite interested in setting questions how would i go about that is there any way I can get into it, etc. I had done a little bit of question setting on the side from my normal day job, which at that time was working in a financial ratings agency in the city as an admin. So I'd done a little bit on the side and I sort of wanted to explore it a little bit more. Anyway, I had a whole year off work um, and towards the end of that year, Luke got in touch with me and he told me he was working on the new version of Going for Gold. Um, yeah, Did there, that happen? There was a... Revo- a, a Revisited version on Channel, Channel 5, Five live at lunchtimes. It was presented by John Suchet ah, and it was live at lunchtimes and there was a viewer phone in element and so on. And he was working on the new version of that. Gave me a call, asked me if I was interested in setting some questions because they needed a question set to start in the new year in January 2009. So I sent in a sample set, had an interview and they took me on. So, And I've never looked back. So now I, I have been a question writer. I worked my way up through assistant producer and now I'm one of the questions producers on The Chase. Amazing. But that means Thank presumably you. you can't enter a quiz now. I can't go on quiz shows anymore. Yeah. I, can, I can still... Last year I had to go on Only Connect. What do you mean you had a go? Well, you were on. Well, we were on Only Connect. My team made it to the semi final of Only Connect, the last series. That's allowed because that's a bit more cerebral. That's allowed because it's, well, there's also no cash prize, so there's no Mm. big conflict. And I didn't know any of the production team. Um, Similarly, Mastermind, I could have a go at that theoretically um, because there's no cash prize and I wouldn't necessarily know the question setters or the verifiers um, but basically no I'm not allowed you could to go be on phone a friend now. though I could be a phone a yes. friend yeah for people on Millionaire if you find yourselves going on Millionaire I could do that yeah um, actually I'm going to keep your number for that purpose <laughs> <laughs> all of you um, but no I'm not allowed to go on shows anymore which is it's it's good and bad because I'm I kind of I'm a bit envious of the people now that go on shows and women like 15 to 1 was the very first quiz show I ever went on same in 1997, yeah. back in the William G days, that was my very first time going on a quiz show. And that was what made me think, this is great fun. I can do this. I really enjoyed it. And the next one was The Weakest Link and so on. So I just kept going on quiz shows. So hold on. When you say you can't revise, you're being a bit disingenuous, <laughs> aren't you? Because you spend all day presumably repeating often the same well, formula of making a question. Yeah, I do You could tell us right now what we should be looking at <laughs> to revise to go on the chase. Obviously, I do that now. My, my d- job is 
looking at questions. So no, technically I don't really need to revise because things come up all the time. No, no, but what should I revise if I want to be on the chase? <laughs> Where do you get I'm your questions sure from? I'm not sure I can tell you that. Um, How do you come up with a quiz question? What I, te- what I tell people when they ask me this very question is that everything you see, everything you read, everything you watch on TV, everything you hear on the radio, there are questions everywhere if you know where to look. So, um, you know, you'll see a poster on, on your tube journey to work. You might see a poster for a new production that's on in the West End. Mm-hmm. Just have a look at the poster and then you can write a question. Uh, for example, the other day I've seen the poster for the Bob Dylan exhibition mm-hmm. at, I think it's the Hayward Gallery. Can't remember. No, it's not the Hayward Gallery. It's somewhere in Soho. This obviously wasn't the question. <laughs> no, but it's called Mondo Scripto. And, yeah. you know, you could write the question, uh, Mondo Scripto is a 2018 exhibition of work by which Nobel Prize winning singer-songwriter, for example, that. Mm-hmm. kind of thing and you've mm-hmm. got to sort of then put in a bit of context to the question um, so that there's clue there are clues there um, it's just it's it's one of those things that's kind of it's hard to define but when you're actually doing it you do just do it and you sit there and you and things come to mind I mean you start with what you know instead of sitting in front of a computer screen going oh god what can I write about now think about a fact that you've heard that has interested you have a look for a source that can back that up write the question around it and then that source might take you into other places where you can find okay, other facts I've about other one. interesting things which Oscar winning composer wrote the theme to Going for Gold Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer. there we yes. go I'm yes. in a room full of quizzes and actually that song <laughs> has about six verses that you never ever heard on the show itself We had when I worked on the new version we had the theme tune this, the words to the song on the stuck to the wall in the office so yeah and some shows you're against the clock but some shows you're not you have as long as you want to come up with the answer how long have you actually left it whilst you're racking so, your brains? I think, I think with eggheads, uh, I was in a charity team uh, against the eggheads and it was a, head t- uh, a tie-break scenario, batted back several questions and then uh, we were really befuddled by a question which was uh, which Guardian writer wrote uh, bad science and and what I kind of looked at my team members. They looked at me. We scratched our heads. I know that one. Yeah, and uh, we scr- we uh, we scratched our shoulders, kind of like uh, we rubbed our temples, uh, and th- we were th- th- we were told as long as you let you, you, it's fine. You can think about it. And I thought, is this is this the answer deep within my soul? And I kind of like kept digging. And you know, when you're digging, you're thinking. It's nothing, nothing here. And I kept thinking, is it Jilly Cooper? No, it's not Jilly Cooper. <laughs> and then kind of like just had to say, look, we, we just don't know. And it was, we had to kind of shrug our shoulders. But I mean, it must have been like 10 minutes or so on this wow. one. Wow. There was no audience. So and we, we yeah. could take our time. And, we, and at, at that point, we knew that, that the game was up and we were going to lose. So Do you sometimes, I mean, your most high level fails, do they haunt you? You never forget them. Oh, you God. never, yeah. ever forget the questions that you get wrong. The ones that kind of like mean that you do the walk of shame. They're there seared in your, in, in your existence, kind of, for um, You're all forever. Nodding. Well, I, what was I yours? I had something I didn't realise until it was over. And by over, I mean six months after it happened, because I was on uh, 15 to 1, got to the grand final, which kind of surprised me. This was in the Sandy Toxvig era. So unlike the Grecian urn, there was a £40,000 prize in the grand final, which is enough to take a year off work and just Mm -hmm. do whatever you want. Um, And so I got to the grand final and went, this is great. Um, And then somehow I got to the final of the grand final. And the format in the grand fi- final of the grand final is different from the rest of the series because it's all on the buzzer. So in the rest of the series, people can nominate you to answer questions. And if you don't know that question, you're out. But in the final of the grand final, 
it's entirely down to you what you answer. And I was like, do you know what? I'm actually quite good on the buzzer. I don't know as much as some other people, but I can get there faster. And suddenly I got into this, oh my God, I could actually win 40,000. I came on because I like this show. And now, and I was sitting really nervous before we went back in going like, I am this close to winning this money. And we went in and we started and I was buzzing ahead and building up. And then the pressure of it, I gave two stupid answers in a row doing that, which meant I was down to one life. And suddenly, because if I got lost that life, I would be out. I couldn't take as many risks, but I was still going through and going for stuff. But just, you know, an extra fraction of a second slower. Got to the end, didn't win, didn't win the 40,000, but I was about 30 points behind. And really just these two questions, which were about vertices or corners on a... I'd got confused about vertices and corners on a cube, and I'd got confused between mojitos and margaritas in in buzzing like i said rum instead of tequila or, or vice versa and I, I still keep getting that wrong quickly. but at the end of it i was so close but what i didn't realize until months later i just went into a really complete funk like in my daily life i was really down mm. and i didn't know why mm. and it's because i'd had this suddenly was so close and literally had started spending the money in my head which is a really bad idea mm. And it was only, and they also say to you, don't tell anyone what happened because we want to keep it all under wraps. We want it to be a surprise at the end. And it wasn't on telly for six months. It, was, so it didn't get broadcast for about six months. Oh, so you had six months of feeling depressed and not realising. Yeah, not realising. That's what was really, and it's a weird thing yeah. to be at the core of it. But once it was broadcast, everyone knew about it, everyone could watch it, everyone could go, do you know, you did really well, you got to, to that, and you could openly chat about it. And suddenly I felt this thing lift, and I was like, that's ridiculous. I went and did a thing I really enjoyed mm. doing, and, and actually this weird kind of low-level melancholy that's been following me around for this period. It's just down to that, like, really punishing myself for being too keen. So it's not all fun. (laughs) (laughs) Julia, I know you also work on the production team of one of these shows. Do do you guys think about that? Because whatever the money is, if it's a life-changing amount of money, which for some people could be anything upwards of Mm £5,000, do you think sometimes the jeopardy is too high for people? For the contestants, yes. I have seen people just fall apart in front of the camera. Yeah, me too. Uh, It's it's awful to watch when you think that they're going to be fun and excited and bubbly and they start off in that way and then for example on the chase you know they might be fine in their cash builder when they're having their little chit chat to Bradley and Bradley's very very good at making people feel at ease he's you know very comfortable he'll look after them but then they'll get to the table and all of a sudden you can see the life drain out of them because they're facing the chaser and this is real money at stake I think in the cash builder it's kind of they're building up their pot so you know they're trying to answer as many questions as they can correctly um, and get a basic amount to start with but then suddenly it becomes they've got to they've got to choose an amount to play for, and it does it scares people. It's and unreal, I've seen it's it an happen. unreal scenario situation. It is. And when you start asking yourself, why is this? I'm standing in front of mm. like, someone who's a, a household name and answering questions, mm-hmm. and the moment you start thinking, this is weird. This is why am I here? What's ha- what's happening? Mm. That's when the kind of like, the coffee yeah. wobbles and the yips mm. can kick in. And, I, and I've seen contestants again br- breeze through the yeah. early rounds, and they're, and they're in the lead, and then and suddenly it's like they realise, oh, I could win this, oh, oh, oh. and then suddenly the confidence yeah. drains yeah. from them, and and then they, the moment's lost. And that was a lesson that I kind of told myself is like don't get too carried away with yeah. things and that's a, it's a football thing as well isn't it it's like you don't get too carried away if 
if you're winning 3-0 because the other team can come back and, and you mm. lose 4-3 four, four, it's about trying to be as calm as possible but that's not easy it's not easy and the thing that's changed now because of technology is you don't have to go to a TV studio mm. to take part mm. in big money quizzes there yeah. are apps now aren't yeah. there where you can play along yeah. do you do those too? I have I've worked through them basically so I as each one's come online I've kind of tried it out mm. um, so, HQ so HQ is, is the one the most one. people have heard of yeah. yeah so I played HQ for a bit but but in order to win on HQ you have to get every single question right and I never managed to do that and I knew people from the league who were winning from time to time yeah. and then Cash Show came along and Cash Show you started to win money from the sixth question mm-hmm. smaller amounts but uh, the trick with that, really, which isn't something you can replicate now, is when there was fewer people playing, mm. it was divided by fewer people. So when I started, if you got to the sixth or seventh question, you could maybe win a couple of quid. Mm. And once more people signed up, you could win a couple of pence. Yeah. So early on, I think I got about 150 quid out of cash show over a, a few weeks because I was doing quite well. You didn't have to get to the end and there weren't loads of people playing it. So the prize fund was split between fewer people. Yeah. Then... Another one came along. There was another one where you had to get all 12 that I've forgotten the name of. And I've kind of, the amounts now that are so low, unless you are, unless it's like a big money HQ, there can only be one winner. We go yeah. on to the end thing. And I just go, I'm never going to be the one winner of that. Yeah. I'm gonna so be why? The... Why aren't you ever going to be the one winner? Um, well, why can't you be um, the one winner? You, you won Mastermind. I, I mean, I could, I could, I could probably fluke it, but the chances of it and the amount of time I'd had to put in, I think I'd rather just spend it. It is an interesting format because uh, with uh, HQ, it's it's twelve questions, and if you get all quest- questions right, you get a share of the uh, the pot. Sometimes it's a thousand pounds, sometimes it's five thousand pounds. Very occasionally, it is playing to the lads that to to just one person is is left. And and the first couple of questions are really noddy questions that, that anyone could could ask. And noddy then, questions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who's the Queen of of, uh, of England at the moment? Is well, it, is I think it the Queen fir- Elizabeth? I think queen the first Di- question today yeah. was on HQ was Saint Nicholas is associated with which time of year? Mm, Easter, yeah. Christmas, or okay. And it reads you when you think, all right, okay, for all, if all twelve questions are like this, I'm, I'm just curious etymology wise though, <laughs> noddy. As noddy. in, like, Enid Blyton's Noddy? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, an, that's an accepted quizzes term for an easy question, is it? Or, or a gimme, I guess. G- gimme is... Gimme. What's yeah. a gimme? Sitter. Yeah, a gimme. Sitter. So, gimme. So anyone, you, you give me that question, I'll get it. Yeah. Anyone will get it right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Give me a point. Basically, give me a point. Yeah. Right. By answering, asking okay. Question. And, I think, and, then, and then it gets to question five or six, where it's sometimes an, an unexpected answer. I think there's something along the lines of uh, recently, um, which country has got most motorways? Is it Germany? Is it mm. Spain? Is it uh, the UK? And a lot of people would instinctively go, "Oh, it must be Germany." Yes. And I think it's uh, Spain. So that can lots of people drop out because the obvious, the inverted commas, obvious answer is the wrong answer. And the question setters are quite clever in that they will kind of. When you get to question six, question seven, there'll be it'll be the non-obvious answer. Yeah. And, as, and you, lo- as you get into that psychology, you start to go, mm. "I don't know this." So, is it going to be the interesting fact, or yeah. is it going to be the obvious answer? And having to, you're making that judgment rather than mm. what do I think is right? Yeah, yeah. From a question setter's point of view, that is quite a naughty thing to do because, yeah. and it's not something we tend to do because it's a trick TV question world. in effect, isn't it? It's, it? it's yeah. a trick well, question. Well, question that- questions like, "What is the distance between the Earth and?" Saturn and the three options will be just three long strings of numbers. Yeah. And it's not a quiz fact. No, that anyone it's not. Would right now, that is what happens on those fucking pub quiz machines. Yeah, yeah. and that really annoys <laughs> me. It's like a stopper question. Yeah, yeah. It's designed. Oh, there's a phrase for it as well. Yeah, a stopper question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's I, I at university you was quite into my pub quiz machine, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you've got a couple of quid to spend in the evening, literally a couple of quid, and that's yeah. what you do, because yeah. you get a decent amount of entertainment out of it, you get your friends around. And I'd play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I'd play Hangman, mm-hmm. and I'd do all right, I could always make four quid, but when it got to the question that could win me a tender, it was always something like that that yeah. you literally couldn't possibly know the right. answer to. Yeah. And you, you know, you can get lucky. People obviously do. And but it's really choice, so you can. Yeah. So, but do you? Have you ever won money on a pub quiz machine? Because oh, yeah. if you yeah. haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Used, that was my my student union bar. I'd be down there okay. on my own at the quiz machine. So <laughs> <laughs> was like creating this illusion of friends around me. But I, I do think with the with the quiz machines and with the apps, that is actually. And we were saying that watching watching TV is a way to revise quizzes. You know, watch quizzes, and the same things come up. Actually, even if you're not winning on something like HQ or on a pub quiz machine the kind of questions that come up, unless they're the really badly written ones like that, are useful quiz revision. Yeah. And actually just getting your brain in a, in a cycle where you're getting used to answering things quickly and yeah. you're recalling facts, it's practice. Yeah, absolutely. Like pretty much anything in life, practice makes perfect. Yeah, you can, you can, the more you do, the better you get. Julia, Will and Jason from the Quiz League of London. And remember, if you think you have a story or an experience worth sharing, please do email us via our website. I don't always have the time to respond to everything personally, but we do read it all. Visit us at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click feedback. Next up, Alex Fox will get wet after this. Uh, before we find out what your challenge is for next month, let's pause to thank our sponsors for the Zeitgeist this month, BBC Maestro. Yes, BBC Maestro is a subscription-based streaming platform. It's got loads of amazing online courses that you can take part in, which are taught by some really incredible names. Yeah, like Alan Moore, Julia Donaldson. It's an incredible repository of online video lessons from people who really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm really excited because Bill Lawrence is on there. Do you know who that is? I don't. Should I know this? He's a, well, no, it's a geeky thing to know who he is, but okay. he's, a, he's a comedy writer. Mm. And he's done an online course for BBC Maestro in writing comedy for television. He's the guy behind Scrubs and Ted Lasso. The thing about these courses is they're long. Like, he's, it's not just guy talks to camera for half an hour and shares some tips that you'd get if you went to go and see them speaking at any literary event. He has done a bespoke 21-lesson, four-and-a-half-hour course on how to write comedy for TV, how to pitch, how to work with actors, how to find your voice. I mean, they're proper deep dives. The one that really stood out for me, though, is... um Brian Cox teaching acting. And mm. I, I don't think I've ever said this to you, Ollie. But I remind you of Brian Cox? You, yours... I do have that steely determination. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. But I have always wanted to learn how to act properly. I don't necessarily want to be an actor, but I just quite like the idea of um, knowing how to act. And the thing about Brian Cox is, I mean, what a name to be teaching you something like yeah. acting. Well, there'd be transferable skills, wouldn't there? Even if you have no intention of being an actor, you know, the the things that he's going to be talking about in that course, how to work with other actors, how to interpret your character, how to learn your lines, all of that stuff might be relevant for whatever you do for a job. Yeah, I was thinking more of explaining to my other half that I did put the clothes away. She just thinks that I didn't, but then I could act the way that I did. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, maybe you will make that pivot, Ollie. You know, there's there's always roles for the back half of the calf in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. He's saying I'd be <laughs> a literal ass. Anyway, uh, if this appeals to you, as it should, 
then use the code MAN to get 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription at bbcmaestro.com. Yes, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code M-A-N-N to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro. Time to talk sex. It's the Foxhole with Alex Fox. How are you doing? I am spiffing and ready to talk about spaffing, Ollie. And what have you been up to this week, spaff-wise? I took an HIV test involving just a tiny pinprick of blood uh, as part of a documentary I've made about modern HIV testing, management and, um, and history uh, for BBC Five Live. Had you ever done this particular kind of test before? I actually hadn't. I test regularly for all all types of STIs, including HIV. This one was the most modern type of blood test for home usage. It comes in a little pack that kind of looks like a DVD sort of case that size and inside it looks like a little tiny box that contains a needle it's almost like a stapler for your finger so you never have to see the needle it makes um, the possibility of doing it wrong or having an accident very very minimal It's, it's hard to fuck it up basically and then you get a result within 15 minutes if there's just a single line it means you're negative if there are two lines it means you're positive and there's loads of support if you do get that latter result there's a whatsapp number so you can chat to somebody straight away but they don't send you a free bottle of champagne if you get the negative uh no no they don't although i did feel like having a drink afterwards because my first test was actually inconclusive there were no lines on my test. The, the blood had not mixed with enough buffer solution. It also had congealed a bit on my finger. And uh, the, the test couldn't give me an exact answer on my status. Ollie, I have to be completely honest with you. It's my job to know that nowadays a positive diagnosis in 2018 is not what it was in the 80s. But even knowing all this... I feel a little bit of shame admitting this, but I think it's important for me to be honest. I did feel some trepidation. I felt a little bit of fear when that test was inconclusive. And there were then another 15 minutes while I did a second test, which thankfully did come up negative for me. But I think it was really crucial for me to go through that because it's given me a better understanding of why some people might not test because they're afraid. And I have further work to do with my colleagues at places like it starts with me.org to recognize that there is still fear attached to HIV, even knowing what we know now, and that people might need their hand held whilst they put their finger on that needle. Okay, time for our listener sex question of the week. It comes courtesy of an anonymous man who says, My wife wants to have sex in the shower, but I'm over a foot taller than her, so we really struggle. Is there anything else fun that we could do in the bathroom, preferably with water, instead? Well, for a start, as somebody who makes a hobbit look tall, I can assure you that it is totally possible to have comfortable penetrative sex in the shower without any other additions, so long as you pick a position that works. Generally, if the woman faces the wall, provided it's not too slippery a surface, and you go in from the rear, it will require you to crouch crouch a little bit, um, but it doesn't place as much strain on the body as face-to-face sex, then that is doable but you can make it a hell of a lot easier by using props that give you something more to hold on to. Now, none of these things sound sexy. No, I mean, when you say props, (laughs) I always think Tommy Cooper. There is a range actually called sex in the shower uh, of suction cup 
handles and footrests and they're also designed to be removable so rather than having to have something fitted in your bathroom permanently which might be a problem if say you live in rented accommodation and are they in sexier colors than mobility aids like do they come in blacks and sparkly things rather than just that white sort of you know nursing home look all the ones i've seen are white i've um, created a niche there yeah. <laughs> sex in the sexy shower.com please do you remember last season we spoke about a, a rather attractive transparent sex stool called the uh, Kaziti. I do, yes. Um, One minute it's a makeup table, the next minute it's a cunnilingus aid. <laughs> Precisely. Well, I think that would work really well for shower sex. You would have to put it on a non-slip mat, but that means that the male partner could sit down and then his female partner could, could straddle him. The seat is totally waterproof, really easy to clean afterwards, and it, it would look not out of place at all in a bathroom as it is. So that's another option. But if you don't want to have penetrative sex, if that is proving too difficult, there's loads of other things you can do. Probably the most obvious that doesn't require you to buy anything at all is oral sex. He can go down on her. She can go down on him. There are also a variety of toys specifically designed to be used in the shower and the bath. And there is tons to explore here there's a a fantastically named brand called drops of sweden h2o uh, and they do a rabbit that attaches via a shower hose to your taps you need the right plumbing scenario for it to work (laughs) but not only does the shower love the idea of calling british gas around to look at this (laughs) (laughs) all right mate you want one of the rabbits yeah (laughs) (laughs) That'll be extra. Plus that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, The Drops of Sweden Rabbit looks like a normal rabbit vibrator and it does have all those vibration and pulsing settings. But rather than the ears um, being a clitoral stimulator that uses the motor, it's a little spout that um, pulses water against the body. And there are many, many women out there who will have experienced their first orgasm by using the shower head in the bathroom. Uh, And for a lot of folks, that really, really gets them off. So this combines modern technology and vibration with that kind of old school stimulation. And it allows you to work in temperature play. You can make the water hot or cold. And is there an equivalent for the gentleman? Oh, yeah, there's a a company called Bathmate. A lot of their toys are also designed, they're, they're kind of penis pumps. So they are sold as devices that can temporarily or even long term, so they argue, make your penis bigger. As we've discussed in the past, Ollie, I think that's a fruitless task. I think you should work with what you've got. Although, you know what, if you want to look plumper in your thumper for a while, then knock yourself out. And this scenario of bathroom sex, shower sex is quite common, isn't it? Why is that? Like, I wonder whether it goes back to like communal showers people had when they were younger or whether it's sort of the thrill of those elements, you know, the fact, you know, air and water. And There's also the idea that it's just a different room. We speak so often about how putting sex in a different place can make it feel different. And then there's all the sensory aspects of hot and cold water and steam and looking at yourself in the mirror and the acoustics of a bathroom, making your orgasmic moans and groans sound different. I suppose it's a place that you are naked as well, most frequently, that isn't your bedroom. It's also but usually the, by yourself. Yeah. And it's also one of the few rooms in the house other than a bedroom where it's common to have a lock. So this is the bathroom is a place that affords people privacy if they have flatmates or children. Um, it's it's a, a good place to go and grab 10 minutes together. Yeah, it's also, I kind of forgotten this when I was asking the question, it's also a place teenagers typically go to have a wank, isn't it, for that reason? Like, you know, if, if, it's, if it's not night time, 
that's where you're going to go, isn't it? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I can't argue with and you I just on that wonder, one. <laughs> that helps build some sexual tension into the room that lasts with people even into adulthood. I used to date somebody who was lifeguard at a leisure centre and we definitely got up to all sorts of things that he probably would have been sacked for involving his sack. I'm sure so, that was just like Baywatch. <laughs> was it at leisure centre in Macclesfield? It wasn't in Macclesfield. It was, right. even, it was in Croydon, so oh, even okay. more glamorous. Well, international yeah. listeners should know that is just like Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> it, but that was such a formative experience for me that the smell of chlorine actually does make me think of sex. Right. Uh, and I've had a lot of um, wondrous holiday sex in various shower cubicles and wash down places after sexy nights at the beach. And, and actually, a lot of people have experimented in, in the hotel, you know, spa pool or, you know, in the sea. And yeah. maybe this is a way, isn't it, of taking it home? Yeah, exactly. One of my favourite things to do is to get a partner in the shower when they're still wearing some clothes. When you've come in from a night out, just haul your... It's also a great way of sobering somebody up if you need to. But I think there's something really sexy about standing under the water. The hair gets wet, yours does. Your clothes cling to you more. They become semi-transparent and you can take each other's clothes off. Uh, If you want a hot twist on a strip tease get in the shower clothed or get your partner in there. Yes. But for people who are going in the shower or the bath because their partner wants to and actually it doesn't do it for them, do you have any advice for them? And there are a lot of women as well that um, find that, ironically, because there's so much moisture going on from the shower or the bath, that they're actually quite dry in their own down belows. And that's because the the stream um, or the bath... Uh, washes away their own natural lubricant. If that is an issue for you, uh, try a little bit of silicone lubricant because that that tends to stick around longer in water. In fact, there are even varieties made specifically for use in the shower. Trojan make one called Riviera. Um, Just be aware though, silicone lubricant is extremely slippery. So if you are adding that to an already slippery environment, you are going to want to take care. And if we've got you all in a lather and you have a question of sex for Alex, what do you need to do with it? Head on over to our website, which is modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and hit feedback. And something you can do in the cold light of day, you don't need to be locked away in a private wet room, is follow Alex on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex Fox. That's A-L-I-X-F-O-X. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Stuart Baker, aged 48 and three quarters, from Yerevan in Armenia. He says, My family's in the UK and I spend 50% of my time in Yerevan. Armenia is a beautiful country with lovely people, but there's nothing like being reminded of the delights of home. And Ollie, your friend next door, mischievous style, allows me to escape to the familiar land of pastures green and expensive beer. By the way, one beer in Britain is the cost of five in Yerevan. Uh, well, Stuart, I am proud to appoint you ambassador for Yerevan. Congratulations. If you'd like to be a ambassador, just drop us a line, buy us a beer, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday.